When I was a little kid, I grew up and I had a, a luxury because when you're growing up in the 90s, Red Sox tickets did not cost you $700 a piece. And it was actually kind of reasonable. But for me and my family, I even had another benefit. Um, two things. First of all, my aunt worked in advertising, and she would often get my dad and I free seats, so it didn't even cost us the lower 90s price. We were able to just go for free and really enjoyed going to Red Sox games. And also, we were right next to where my mom worked to the point, do you remember that Sitco sign when you go in Boston? You know what it looks like, right? So it's big, it's got this kind of triangle thing that lights up. Well, when I was little, I didn't think of it as the Sitco sign. I used to call it Mommy's Work Sign because my mom worked literally right down the street from it. So there was one day when we were in Boston and we were just getting out of a Red Sox game. Now let me tell you about this day because it's an important day. We used to go every opening day this was pre before they won, so we didn't have championships. We had a lot of sadness, sorrow, and move on. That's kind of what we had. Is that fair? But we had hopes and aspirations. And so I remember there was this one particular opening day where it was my dad, myself, and my best friend Kyle. And I was five or six at the time. And we went to the game, and the Red Sox were losing horribly. Really bad, painful bad. You can look it up. And it was going awful, and the stadium just began emptying out and emptying out and emptying out. And my dad said, hey, you know what? Let's, let's wait, because what if they come back? And now everybody is leaving, 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 and they start to come back. And eventually they win the game. Now, you got to remember, this is at the time pre-internet where there wasn't all the clear understandings of is the stadium open or not, so people try to now get back in the stadium. And so there starts to be all this pandemonium, and I'm not sure who got in or who got out, but by the time we're leaving Fenway Park, it's madness outside the stadium. You with me? Okay. So we're looking, and it's time to go maybe get a souvenir. And so we're walking out, and I see in front of us a wallet drops out of someone's pocket. And so we run over, and I grab it, and I hand it to my dad. And trying to think quickly on his feet, he opens it up, and it's interesting, as I think of this wallet, I don't know what was actually in it, but to me as a little boy, it looked like there was hundreds of dollars in there, right? <laughs> but of course, being Christians and ministers' family, we don't help ourselves and go to the souvenir shop. What do we do? My dad opens up the wallet, and he looks at the license, and he sees a name. Let's make up a name. Let's say it's Joe something. So he starts yelling, Joe! And now, farther down, because the guy has just dropped it, this guy turns around and starts yelling, what? What? Who said my name? Who said my name? And so my dad tries again, Joe, the name. And he goes, why is someone saying my name? My father tries a third time, Joe, in the name. This guy comes up to my dad, why are you screaming my name and why do you have my wallet? And so the guy grabs the wallet out of my dad's hand, huffs, gets in his cab, and leaves. He completely missed it, didn't he? Completely missed it. Completely misread the situation. Something, I don't want to say miraculous, but something good happened, didn't it? And what happened? Our friend Joe was so concerned with maybe it was all of the confusion of people trying to get back in. Maybe it was that he was trying to get in his cab. Maybe it was simply that he felt like someone was giving him a hard time or stealing from him, and he completely missed everything good going on in that moment. 
That is the story of Zechariah. We come to this story, it's really interesting because there's certain, you can grab your Bible, we're going to be in Luke 1. There's certain, certain stories that we really come to like once a year at most, aren't there? And you can say, hey, we prioritize these stories, or you can say, we just kind of miss them a lot. What I want to show you with this guy, Zechariah, got a funny picture of him. Maybe that's what he looked like or not. You're going to read about him in the text. But Zechariah is this guy who just misses it. God is going to directly show up in his life through an angel. How much would you like that? Anyone want an angel to come show up in your life right now? Be pretty cool. Pretty cool. We had a really interesting, a lot of conversations this past week, multiple, about guardian angels and things like that showing up in people's lives. Wouldn't we like that to happen? Angel shows up. But the problem is, is our friend Zachariah, he's a priest. And what does that mean? That means he's from a specific group of people, a specific family. And so as a boy, he would have grown up saying, hey, one day I'm going to be a priest. And now he is, and now it's kind of mundane. And now he had all these rules and all these laws and rituals he had to follow. And there would have been a time where he would have loved this. He would have been all excited to be a nerd, right? And to learn all the different ins and outs of the Levitical tradition. But now he's been doing it a while, and he's just kind of old and worn out, and it's routine and mundane. And there would have been a time where he would have known the biblical story in the Old Testament extremely well. Who are some of those characters? Shout out a character from the Old Testament. Moses. Who else? Mephibosheth, Daniel, Joseph, right? All these wonderful characters. But the problem is, is our friend Zechariah gets to this point where even though he read the stories and knew the stories of God showing up, he got to the point where he didn't really feel like God could show up for him. Do we ever feel like this? Do we ever get to this point where we believe these stories or at least know them, but we start to distance ourselves? I like to say that Zechariah is the consummate 21st century American. He totally misses it. God literally shows up in his life. I look around. Some of the greatest Christians and kindest people I know are in this room. I know that if we sat down and forensically think through your life, there's wonderful moments where God has shown up. But like Zechariah, many of us miss it, don't we? We completely miss those moments. Now, what I want to show you is that he actually shows us why we miss what's important. We think sometimes that we know more than we actually do. Do you ever get like that? Where we think, hey, I know it all. Think about our friend Joe leaving Fenway. He thought some guy was stealing his wallet or giving him a hard time or whatever. We sometimes fear that our best is behind us. There's a phrase, peaked in high school. Have you ever heard this phrase? Sometimes we feel like we peaked in high school, or maybe we're in our 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s or whatever we are, and we feel like, hey, there were good things in my life, and that's the old part of my story. I'm just going to kind of wrap up life. Heaven will be nice. But I'm just kind of riding out the rest of the, the boat ride at this point. We focus on how mundane life can seem. You know, I think of this a lot. 
A lot of us, when we're kids, imagine these lives. We watch movies, right? When you grow up, you have all these wonderful, exciting movies. No matter what generation you are, you have these wonderful movies that make us think life is going to be an adventure. And then life is what? Kind of boring. Kind of slow. Kind of mundane. Sometimes you feel like your life is more like watching paint peel, not dry, than anything else. Zechariah has this. He's just got all these things going on, and yet... Even in all these things, God shows up in his life. As we come to Christmas, it's easy to miss things. And like the guy in Boston, it's easy to miss what really matters. But here's the question. Will we pay attention when God shows up? Because God is going to show up in your life. When I think in my life, God often shows up especially in relationships. God often shows up in conversations. But so often we miss it. Why do we miss it? We have all these things going on. Think about your life in the Christmas season. We've got all the busyness. What else do we have? We have all the spending. We have all the frustration. Um, I notice, just anecdotally, tragic stuff seems to happen during the month of December a lot, doesn't it? So we have negative anniversaries that we come to. And so we come into this time where Jesus should be the reason for the season. And what are we focused on? We're focused on all these difficult things. We have friends and family members in the hospital and going through things. And we just sit and say, God, you know, I'd like to get to January. Maybe life can just slow down. As we're going through this, I want to remind you, Zachariah misses an angel because of all these reasons. He didn't have all of our 21st century ideas of consumerism and hustle and bustle, but he, just like us, totally missed it. And so are we willing to pay attention? Are we willing to say, God shows up, will I pay attention? I rarely ask you to raise your hand. Who's willing to pay attention a little bit more for the rest of Christmas? You willing? So let's look at the story of Zechariah, and, and let's see... What are some concrete ways to make that happen? Because I can say to you, hey, God shows up in your life. Just pay attention. You can say, that sounds really nice. I don't know what that means. So let's walk through Zechariah, and let's see what he has to deal with. First of all, let's stop focusing on fear and replace it with joy. I have this thing I like to do where we read a text together. So we're going to read... This little bit, it's from Luke chapter 1. You can be in your Bible. We're going to be in the New Living Translation. You can open it up, or you can be with us on the screen. Let's read this together. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Now, if you're very familiar with this story, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. If you're lost, let me tell you what's going on. A guy named Zechariah is a priest from a specific family. The Bible says he's righteous. It says him and his wife Elizabeth are both righteous, but they're old. Anybody feel old? So it's good to be righteous and old, right? You'd prefer to, prefer to be righteous and young, but he's righteous and old, okay? Now, once a year, there are special things that happen in the temple, and also there's special weeks 
Zechariah is chosen for a special week that he's going to go and he's selected, and now he has a week where he's going to be doing special things for God in the temple. That's what's going on, and he goes in and does it. And now we see that an angel shows up, and he's shaken and overwhelmed with fear. I want to talk for a moment about why this can be a challenge. One of the things that we have in our culture that I almost say is like a meme at this point is faith, not fear. Have you heard this phrase? Faith, not fear is like it's somewhat helpful. What I want you to really think of is rather than saying I can either have faith or fear, I want you to think at the times I'm caught in fear, what does the gospel have to say about that? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ for all the world. Let's go quick. Perfect God created perfectly, but sin entered the world. We're powerless over it. Fortunately, Jesus came as a little baby, grew up, lived a perfect life, died on our behalf, rose again. Now we can have faith, so that's the gospel, and it changes everything. It should saturate my life every day in every way. And so we say, okay, what does the gospel say about my fear? The gospel says, hey, at the times where you're stuck in a spirit of fear, where it just seems like I'm noticing all the things why I'm worried. Do you ever have that? You just look at this and you see, if I do this, bad will happen here. If I don't do this, bad will happen here. If I have this conversation, I'm worried about blank. Or something happens and we just kind of crouch down and we're really worried about what comes next. The gospel says that we can choose to experience joy at that point. We can make the choice because the angel says very clearly, hey, you will have not great fear because of your son. You're going to have great joy and gladness. When we think of that, it really makes us realize that often we have to be intentional about this as a choice. I want to tell you about what was going on this past week. A lot of people saw my family and I at the door, and you said, hey, how'd your week go? And I gave you some sort of answer like, between good-ish to fine to it was tough. This past week, we found out that a friend of mine, and we'll start negative, we'll go positive, a friend of mine I grew up with, really sweet, good friend of mine as a little kid, he was 31 years old, he was killed in a tragic car accident, and not only was he killed in a tragic car accident, a 35-year-old teacher was also killed in this accident, okay? Really tragic. So we're heading down to go to the wake, and there's just a lot of reasons to be fearful, aren't there? There's just a lot of negativity. And the truth is, sometimes the church gives us a false impression that we should just not be honest about the negativity, right? Oh, I should just, I should just pretend everything's good. I should do the, life is good, Jesus is wonderful, my life is blessed, I have no problems. So we're driving down, and life is complicated, Jesus is good, and I do have problems, and we're grieving with the loss of this 31-year-old friend. But then we start to notice the reasons for joy. Let me give you two. First of all, we have someone who's a dear friend of ours from 18 years ago. My family came to this church in 2005, and when we came here, we lost contact with a dear friend. And now, because of a really tragic, awful event, we were reunited with this person. And he's doing great. He's a key leader of a recovery ministry in a really prominent church on Cape Cod that's doing really well. And there's a lot of reasons to celebrate that. 
not just about the ministry opportunities, but we love this guy. We've lost contact with him. The Lord has worked in his life for 18 years, really blessed him and his family. There's a lot to celebrate. And my dad and I have made plans to get with him on January 4th to get together and have lunch. Another thing that happened, I go up to the greeting line and I see the family. And I see a young person that I grew up with. And you know, we never exactly know the impact we have on people. Is that fair? We never really know. We never really know if, if people legitimately like us or if they tolerate us. Have you ever felt like that? Seeing some nods. I, I feel that. Maybe you don't own that. I own that. So I go up there, and I really don't know what to say to this young person, so I say nothing. And the young person speaks and says, hey, I want to let you know you were like an older brother to me when we were growing up. And I'm just kind of floored. And moments like that, we just choose joy. And truthfully, yes, we've had all the difficulty of this past week, but I've really tried to say, you know what? Yes, God, I'm going to be honest that this was a difficult week, but there were two amazing moments that happened because of this tragedy. That's where we take the Romans 8.28 idea, right? That the God works through everything good for those who believe him. What we see is, hey, I can choose joy in those difficult moments. And so I want to ask you, is your life really a fearful life? If you just imagine, hey, I'm going to journal about my week. If you were going to journal about your week for a while, would you say your life looks a little bit more like a state of fear or a state of joy? Zechariah chooses the fear and it gets him into trouble. And so if we're going to say, hey, God shows up in my life, will I see it? Let's stop focusing on fear and replace it with joy. Now we continue because the story doesn't end there. Zachariah is going to keep getting himself in hot water. Let's look what happens next. Let's stop doubting and let faith remove the blinders. Oh, I actually forgot about to talk about this. Let's talk about this. I agree. So I messed up, not the side people. Okay, so there's a really important thing as we get to doubt. Sometimes people wonder the idea of faith. And they, they say, how should I live my life? Should I live my life in a fear God, follow rules, or should I have joy in Jesus? The whole difference between gospel and religion, really quickly, is when I have joyful obedience, when I say, Jesus loves me, this I know, therefore I get to do awesome things, and I get to be with awesome people, and my life is complicated, but I get to bless others, and I get to make a difference, that's the joyful obedience of the gospel. So many of us get really stuck in moments where we feel like our faith should be this religious thing where I'm kind of miserable, I pay a little bit of money for this, and I help out here, but I don't really have time for it, and I have these just reasons that kind of weigh me down, and I feel bad about God, and I'm not sure if he loves me, and that's fearful obedience. At this Christmas, just as I asked you, hey, is your life more about joy or fear? If you're finding that your life is religious, this is something to be aware of and say, hey, I'd much rather have a life of joyful obedience, feeling the good news of the gospel, than stuck in all that religion. So Zechariah is a religious guy, not a joyful obedience gospel guy. And let's see how we can stop doubting and let faith remove the blinders. So anybody have horses? Do you have horses? Okay, no horses here. But have you ever seen a horse with blinders? Horse has blinders like this, right? Everybody do this with me. Show me horse blinders. 
When we have blinders in our life, I want to show you we're not horses, right? Horses are smart. Horses are like this. We're not smart. We do blinders like this, right? Okay. So we're going to read this, and I invite you, put your blinders up. I didn't give you permission. Okay, there we go. All right, we're going we're gonna to read through our blinders, and we're going to see how amazing it is when faith removes it. Ready? Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. Now remove the blinders and see. So when we just live in doubt, do we have reasons to doubt? Yes. Is life confusing? Yes. Is life difficult? Yes. Are there a million reasons why we can sit down and doubt everything? What can we doubt? We can doubt if we're good parents. We can doubt if we're good spouses. We can doubt if we're good believers. We can doubt if we're good friends. I can give you all the doubts. Zechariah has all the reasons why he's not sure that any good will happen. How can I be sure this will happen? Do you ever feel like you want guarantees? We doubt because we want guarantees that no one is given. We doubt because we rule ourselves out. His big thing is, hey, I'm too old. Hey, my wife's too old. I just want to point something out. Remember how I said Zechariah is a priest? Remember how I said he lives in the tradition of the Old Testament? Who's the most famous guy not named Moses in the Old Testament? Abraham. What happened with Abraham? Him and his wife were two, and they still had right. So there's a disconnect. When we just doubt, it's kind of like why I had you put your hands up to read it. It's just a blinder that's really not helpful. I'm not saying don't be honest about doubt. Be honest about it. Also, faith, people say, hey, define faith for me. Let's give you, let's give you a definition like this. Faith means that my life is a journey with Jesus and that instead of every single step turning to Jesus and saying, I'm not sure about this, Jesus, you know, I think we should turn back. Just keep walking on down the road. Is that a fair definition of faith for Christmas? Journey with Jesus. Stop questioning him. Just try it for a while. Just take some steps. And if you want to doubt, maybe doubt next year. Does that work? Now, here's the thing. There's a lot of reasons why we can doubt. Zechariah, think about the absurdity of the situation. He's sitting there doing all his ritual, and what shows up? A fuzzy angel, right? Uh, we don't know, but let's say, okay, imagine, you got a fuzzy angel, how many wings? You want him to have two wings or six wings? Pick. Six wings, okay. You got a fuzzy angel, six wings, golden halo, we agree? Golden halo. Golden halo, um, probably a trumpet, right? What color trumpet? Okay, so you just told me that we've got a fuzzy angel with six wings, a halo, and a gold trumpet, and he's like... How can I be sure about this? Come on, God. Uh, give me some guarantees. Okay? So that's how absurd it is when we just say, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know what? Again, faith. Walk with Jesus for a while. Let's see what happens. However, in our mundane daily parts of life, we can doubt when God shows up. The big idea today is God show up, will I listen? Let me tell you about a time that God is showing up through a relationship in my life and I got it wrong. This past week, I had all that other stuff going on, but I had this. I have a friend in our new denomination who's a former bishop. Wonderful, sweet guy. I've talked about him before, Bishop Matt. 
He's back from Africa. He had to go um, do a, a trip in Africa. They're planting some churches, doing some things. He's back here, and he said, hey, David, um, I'd love to see how you're doing, how your ministry's going. Could we set up a Zoom? What did I do? I immediately started doubting all the reasons why I should say yes to Zooming with my bishop friend. It wasn't that I felt like I was too good for it. In fact, quite the opposite. I was thinking, well, I, that sounds uncomfortable. I don't know what I would say. So I'm sitting getting in my head. Do you ever get like that? We get it all in our head. But do you know my biggest reason why I doubted it? I'm going to be really honest. When we Zoom, do you ever go to someone's house and feel like you overstay your welcome? Do you ever go to someone's house and feel like you understay your welcome and leave before they expect you to go and now you've like horribly hurt their feelings? Okay, the good news about that is at least you've got a three-dimensional area where you're able to like figure out the haptics of people and so you can kind of have a sense of what's going on based on body language. On Zoom, is there body language? There's not, it's two-dimensional. And so for me, when I was thinking of Zoom and this, I was like, well, at 47 minutes, should I sign off? Or 53 minutes? Or should I wait for him to do it? Or, and, right? And so I have all these reasons why I'm telling myself not to do it. So I've decided at this point, I'm going to tell Bishop Matt I can't make it. And my wife says, David, that's crazy. You're telling him yes. Stop it. Literally, God has showed up in your life through a bishop who just wants to talk to you. He has no agenda. He's there to be your friend. He's there to pray for you and guide for you. Knock it off. Schedule the Zoom. In our lives, we get in our heads, don't we? Do we want this Christmas? Faith thinking or our own best thinking? Yeah. Okay. So one last thing. So now Zacharias totally missed it. If you ever feel like you miss it at Christmas, don't raise your hand, but do you ever feel like you've missed it at Christmas or missed it at other times? Zachariah misses it. So what's the final thing we got to see? Let's let silence show us what God is doing. I want to I show you what silence is like. Do you ever find silence uncomfortable? I had a really important person in my life this past week meet with me. We sat in a car and this person said, hey, David, you know, we live in a really busy, busy time. Silence is not only really helpful, they actually have FCC not FCC the church, but FCC the um, federal communications, has actually said between commercials and shows, there needs to be some silence. And they can do it. But in our lives, we just go, go, go. And one of the reasons we get ourselves into trouble, let's be honest, is there's silence. And what do we start doing? We start talking. What kind of talk fills the vacuum? Not good, right? We say something out of our insecurity. We say something out of our fear. And we end up regretting that we didn't just let the silence happen. So why don't we try for like 10 seconds being silent and see what happens. That's super uncomfortable, isn't it? Let's read it. Now you know what it's going to be like. Now Zechariah is not going to do silence for 10 seconds like that. He's going to do it for nine or more months. Here's what the angel says to him. Now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. 
I've wrestled with this line because when I was growing up, I always felt like the angel gave a consequence. Hey, you messed up, so here's your consequence. I've really been thinking about this and thinking about times in my life where when I just was silent first, really good things happened. Remember how I mentioned to you before that I was at a wake and I was not sure what to say, so I waited and let the other person talk first? If I had just said something kind of neurotic or insecure, that nice moment might not have happened. I think silence is a gift. I think the angel is saying, hey, Zechariah, you're supposed to be a religious expert, a holy person in touch with the Lord. You're supposed to know how God works. God is a God of rest. I'm going to give you a gift for nine months of silence. You will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. It seems like a consequence, but... I really think that silence is a gift. It's a, it's a superpower. It's something that, think about some of the times you've gotten in trouble with what you said. I want you to dwell on it for a moment. Think about something negative you said. Now just imagine if instead of saying that thing, you had done this. Would there be maybe a different trajectory in your life, even over that one thing? Would maybe a relationship not be broken that got broken? Now I'm not saying God didn't redeem it because maybe you can say, hey, I said something really dumb and wasn't silent and it got me into a problem, but God redeemed it and saved the day. Excellent. But what if we start pausing and looking for those things at Christmas at any time of year where we see that silence really reveals what God's doing? This past week, all that stuff was going on. All my stories are this past week because it was a really busy week. I don't know for you, if anyone had a really difficult, busy week, it was for our family. But there was something else that happened this week. We came into the lobby, entryway. What do we call that place? Lobby, entryway, atrium, something. I don't know. Do you see that there's a giving tree there? My kids decorated the giving tree with ornaments. And then Henry walked in here. Henry's two. And Henry came and he sat down. And I watched for a couple minutes. And other things were going on. And he's just quietly flipping through. And he's got one of our new Bibles, and he's sitting there. And I go over to Henry after a little bit, and I say, Henry, what are you doing? And he said, I'm reading my Bible, <laughs> which makes sense. Now, I want to show you that if I had been typical David, if I hadn't let silence reveal what God was doing, because this was a wonderful, sweet moment, yes, I took a picture. But if I had just been the typical David, the typical parent of, oh, no, these are the brand new Bibles, you'll wreck them, taking it away from him, right? Oh, no, uh, you can't be alone in the sanctuary. Oh, no, you could go to all these different reasons. There's all sorts of reasons why we, in our heads, don't let silence show what God's doing. But in the middle of all of that difficult week, at the center of it, is this picture of Henry just sitting and reading his Bible. Can he read? He can't read. Does he know what he's doing? I would say yes. I would say yes. I would say he's seen people. He's seen people read their Bible. We read the Bible with him. We show him stories. We talk to him. He loves Daniel in the lion's den. And when we simply just slow down, we're not always going to have this theological truth bomb that's going to happen in our lives. Sometimes we're just going to get moments like this where we can say, wow, Jesus said to have the faith of a child. A little two-year-old sat in a pew read his Bible, and that's the meaning of Christmas. And that's what we miss. 
And so that's what I'm saying when I say God is going to show up. You might not have some moment in your life where your bank account was empty and a check showed up just at the right point with all the money. You may have had this, but I never have. You may not have put yourself in an awful situation and someone just gave you a total second chance. But you may have these moments where when we're just quiet, when we're silent, we see that God's working through people. We see that God is redeeming situations and bringing peace into our lives and in our world. Does that solve every global conflict? No. Does that mean that we're going to have the perfect Christmas? No. But here's our big idea. God shows up. Will we pay attention? So I want to invite you this Christmas... We don't need to manufacture some experience. One of the reasons we get into all these family drama and all these fights and all these difficult things is we think we need a perfect Christmas. We don't. We just need to look for God showing up. We just need to realize that God shows up through relationship. God shows up through conversations. I was talking to someone else this week, and he said something really powerful to me, and here's an example of God showing up. We were talking, and I was getting ready to go, and I was, I was getting up, and he said, hey, David, I have one more thing to tell you, and he wanted to talk about a conflict that was going on in the world, and I said, oh, there's, there's no solution for that. He said, I disagree. Forgiveness is the solution. Whoever will forgive will always win. God showed up in that conversation. God shows up at Christmas. God shows up at New Year's. God shows up all the time. We just get like Zechariah where we're so caught up with everything else. Busyness and anxiety and overextending and whatever you want. So I just want to invite you. It's Christmas. God's going to show up. Are you willing to pay attention? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask that you really bless us. Remind us that we don't need to do so many things that just, they just take us in so many directions. Lord, if we're feeling stressed, if we're feeling overextended, if we're feeling guilty, if we're feeling shame, no matter where we're feeling, Lord, would you just work in our hearts today, this Christmas season, to see that your plan is for reconciliation starting with a little baby, not starting with some massive production. Lord, would you, again, just come into our hearts and remind us of your faithfulness, if we're feeling great about today, Lord, help us share that with someone else. And Lord, if we're, if we're sorrowful, if we're struggling, if we feel broken today, Lord, would you meet us in that? And Lord, I pray that we as a church could really be aware that you're going to show up this Christmas. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.